anyway, fast forward, did the 12 hour thing. By the end of it, I was like mind blown. I never thought as a creator I'd ever be in a situation where I'd have a community that could do something like that. I always thought of that as like, you got to have like crazy numbers, you know, crazy following and stuff like that, which I do not consider myself as having. And we were doing this and they blew my mind, man. We raised $10,000, dude. Holy shit. Yeah. $10,000 between everybody. And then during their live stream, we contribute all that right back to them, right back to them. Yeah. That's and impressive. Yeah. I mean, I was, that's the power of community. Yes. So that was a very humbling experience for me, man. I was yeah. like, oh, that was the sign, I think, out of the years I've dabbled in content creation and done different things. That was the moment where I was like, I'm supposed to be doing this. Welcome to the party. We are looking for more of your podcast for all things gaming with a focus on MMOs, RPGs, game development, and gaming culture. I'm your host, Phoenix, also known as Samorg, and I'm joined by returning party member. So welcome back, Renfell. How you doing, man? I am doing extremely well. Thank you very much. Nice, man. We've got a hell of a week in gaming to talk about. We're actually picking up on some things from last time. Um, but before we get dug in too far... Got to give a big shout out to all of the Imperial Flames, which are the supporters here on Twitch, YouTube, and Patreon. Thanks so much for keeping this party's bags packed, provision stocked for all of our adventures here on the show, friends. Um, you will notice that we are missing someone today, the Nathan Napalm. Unfortunately, after our last show, he was like, oh, shit, Sim. So, uh, by the way, next week, I'm not going to be here. Um, he's he's off doing some stuff with the fam. So, much love to him. We'll see him again real soon. Um, but... Renfell and I will hold it down for the show today. We've got plenty of things to discuss, and I have a feeling that we're going to have some pretty good conversations around some of these things. Um, also, welcome to everybody here in chat, man. Y'all showing a whole lot of love there. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, everybody. Much love. Um, so I usually start this off by saying, well, you can leave a, uh, you can rate the show. You can leave a rating over on the show over at iTunes. It's pinned to the top of our profile on Twitter, which is at the LFM show. You can also call in to leave a message for the show at 1-539-664-6801 and uh, leave some messages to our grunts to get us uh, the messages here. If you want to do that, you can send an email to show at gmail.com. So, in typical fashion, what have you been up to this week, Renfell? What's been new for you? Um, <laughs> i got to think about that for a minute. It's, <sighs> it's been a busy week. Um Game wise, uh, I for the second time around, I, I I pulled out Star Wars Squadrons, mm. which I played at launch, and I just decided I, I was like it, it only took me like six hours to get through the campaign, so I loaded it up the other night and I played for like an hour and a half. I played again last night for an hour and a half, and I was like, ah, just... I did a quick video today that I'll put out on Sunday, so nice. I played a little bit of that. Um, I've been working on uh, more just project dram and stuff nice my brother my brother and i had a late night last night because we actually bought a bunch of new assets and stuff and cool. day job wise cruising right ahead got new crowdfunding campaigns going on for that stuff and other than that my wife's just working on drawing and we're hunkered down the rainy season has now hit mexico city so yeah it's time to <sighs> for the weather to cool off but this is actually one of the hot months so the weather starts yeah. to cool down in may and get down to the mid seventies by nice. next month. Nice. Yeah. This is kind of the rainy season here too. Of course, we were talking about this before the show started. I live in Oklahoma currently and 
you know, that is here this time of year. You get the storm Don't seasons. Don't miss tornadoes. I do not miss <laughs> tornadoes. It's so funny, though, right? Because we talk to, like, most people about it. I don't know. I don't know about for you, but for for me, it's just like, oh, another tornado. And people are like, what do you do? You're like, oh, I don't know. Most people around here, it's just kind of like, you just it's another day of the life. It's another you know? day, especially during that season. Because yeah. I remember 2000, I think it was 2002, the Ooh. summer of 2002, I was back. Ooh. I went back and stayed with my grandmother. And she lives in, she used to live in Rogersville uh, in Missouri, which is south of uh, mm-hmm. Nixa. Anyway, it was that summer. And my uncle's a lineman for the power company there in southwest Missouri. And it was like, there was like a three week period where it was like every day, there was like three or four tornadoes and you'd sit out of the back porch and just watch the horizon and you would see him roll by off of the distance. <laughs> and it was just like, I'm just going to sit here and just chill drink my tea and <laughs> chill and wait. If it starts coming closer. We'll go downstairs. <laughs> Otherwise you just ride it out. Yeah. I was like telling, I was telling my lady about some, some stories about this <clears throat> and, um, I was like telling her about how like I got out of the army and I was traveling down from Kansas to Oklahoma and like on that highway stretch, apparently that there was a tornadoes that were touching down and going across over the highway and they completely missed me. I was oblivious to it. I was like, Oh, it's raining. So I'm on my way and, you know, get down here and they're like, yeah, there were a bunch of storms and yeah, now, you know, there've been some pretty bad ones, but you know, it's just such a normal day in the life. But like we were saying, you get something everywhere, man. You just, there's something no matter where you live, no matter what it's about. Not where you go, right? Yeah, here's here's just earthquakes. So we just there is an earthquake alarm. Doesn't do you any good if it's a localized earthquake, but if it's Mm -hmm. one that's like a couple hundred miles south, you'll get a good forty-five second warning, um, and you got enough time to run outside. And I mean, they they tell you evacuate the buildings. And but if it's a local one, you've got no. There's no warning. It's just you're sitting here, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh shit! (laughs) (laughs) Right? Hang on. You're just like, um. Hope the building doesn't fall. Hope this goes okay. We'll see. Really all um, we can do. Yeah, exactly, man. And I was like, um, yeah, over the past week, you know, I've been, I haven't gotten Ouroboros yet from last week. I have not either. Not yet. Uh, it's kind of, I, this is the same feeling I got when I backed Ashes. And it's that I know, I'm still standing by what I said in my gut. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get in on this. I just don't know where I want to step in yet. And I waited with ashes until like the last day or something. So. I'm going to do the same. And I, I do have a reason for that because I want to see what add-ons they're bringing in yeah. and if they add any additional tiers. Because mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of like I buy it and then I got to go up it as it go. I would rather just wait see and you is, show yeah. me what you're going to pull out of your hat over the campaign. Because mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to spend at least 200 I, I want that two hundred dollar package, but if they come out with something that's cooler for like two fifty, yeah. I could go for two fifty. Yeah. You know, I probably won't go beyond two fifty, but yeah, um, I'm in. I'm just gonna wait and see what else they add to the to the pot. Yeah, or um, like you know what, or you know like your what if you do get add ons right, and you're like I set an amount of what my budget is I can afford to spend, mm-hmm. and then you get to the end they add some bad add ons, they're like really cool, and you're like damn. Now looking at it, maybe I'd rather have this than this one thing. If I had to choose and I only have so much money, then. Because the other day I'm on Twitter and they've got the box dice set from Wormwood and they've Saw got the, the boxed yeah. the box dice roll thing with the faux leather mm-hmm. uh, with the yep. Ouroboros logo on top of it. And I went, I looked at that and went, hmm. <laughs> 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 hmm. 
Yeah, and you didn't really get the you don't get the you didn't get images for that. I don't think on the Kickstarter initially because mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't see them there. It's like you can add this on. I'm like, but what does it look like? So maybe maybe chill on it a little bit and see what what you feel like investing and throwing down on. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm definitely still doing it. I've been watching it. I'm definitely gonna yeah, still man. do it. I'm just it's just a matter of which one am I getting? What all are the things I'm gonna add to it? How much I can hit the wallet? Which one comes first? I don't know, but yeah, it's 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 been an interesting week, man. Um, you know, in my domain, I think it's been a lot of preparation because you know we have Nathan on the show, and you know he he specifically really focuses on covering Pantheon: Rise of the Fallen as his like primary game of focus. Even though he does do a lot of different games that he covers, like we both have covered Defend the Night, and I've covered Saga, and you know um, Valar, and a bunch of these other games over the course of like the past like couple years or so. Um, <clears throat> never, never did cover Chronicles of Valyria. <laughs> you know, but we'll be talking. No, about honestly, that soon. was never. I was never interested in the game. I know. Yeah. I know it's on the agenda today, but yeah. I was never interested enough to want to mm-hmm. be in. And this goes back to me being a, a non. I don't do PvP. So here's the thing. Uh, this is also why, as much as I appreciate a lot of what is being done with Ashes of Creation in yeah. terms of really cool ideas. I'm just not a PvP PvP. gamer. Mm -hmm. So when I look at it, I'm like, eh, I think it's cool. If it was more PvE-oriented, I would be all over it. But because it's more PvP-oriented, I just kind of shrug my shoulders and go, hey, Mm -hmm. kudos, cool, rock it out, best of luck, but it's not Mm -hmm. not for me. Um, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, like, I, I always said that the one game I would play if it was PvP would be any if they made a Dune mm. game because I Ooh, love the Dune universe. That'd be cool. But the thing that irritated me was Funcom got the license and then they immediately announced that not only it's PvP, okay, cool, yeah. it's gonna be a survival game exactly like our Conan games. And I really I've tried those Conan games. I don't like them. I just really don't. But it might be that I just didn't like the way they handled the IP. So I'm still a little on the fence about Dune because I love that universe so right. much that I'm I'm gonna give it a shot. But yeah, for the most part, PvP games I'm just kinda like eh. You know what? Sidestep here, that Dune movie, did that already come out? No, they pushed it back because oh, of man. COVID and I think it's slated for late it's either late this year or early next year. Um Oof, I'm looking forward they to didn't, that. I don't I don't think they wanted to do the, mm-hmm. the, um, cause, uh, what is his name? Dennis Villano. I forget his last name. Right. He's really anti, like he, he was really ticked off when HBO and all these other companies were like, well, we're going to release a lot of movies on streaming this year. And he's like, no, this movie was made for the theater. Screw you. Um, so I don't think that they mm-hmm. wanted to put it out on streaming. Um, right. so I know it got pushed back. Uh, I'm curious now. October of this year is what it says. Ooh, October 1st, 2021. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Which is about a year later than it was supposed to come out. Wow. Yeah. I've been gearing up for Ashes because we got the no NDA in, it's like from May 14th to the 21st. So it's like a week. And uh, they got there. So for anybody who watch it, watches the show or is into Ashes, some people, there's a lot of people in chat right now that are, you know, we don't forget we've got the, um, they're, developer live streams actually this friday we do this thing where basically we'll sit my our community discord like myself and other people in our community will go into my discord and we'll like 
kind of jump into a voice channel and we'll all just kind of pay attention to the show, but we'll be like kind of chatting a little bit, you know, as, as we're watching, it's kind of like a watch party. And then afterwards I go live and then I collect questions from the community and thoughts and comments and things like that. Uh, kind of create some of my own, we kind of go through, skim over the highlighted points and stuff and then put together topics for the Ashes Pathfinder show, which is on Sunday following that. And um, which by the way, if you're, if you guys like that sister show, Ashes Pathfinder to this one, if you guys like that, um, stay tuned because I got an announcement. We're going to have a special guest coming on most likely on Sunday. An old homie of mine who, you know, also is following the game, but has been away for a while. So kind of look for that. Um, yeah, he's pretty cool. He's always got really good insight and stuff. And um, I have to try to get him on here one of these days, too, because I think he'd have a lot to offer, um, you know, from a creator slash you know, just overall MMORPG gamer standpoint. Played a lot of MMOs as well. So, um, so. We have some discussion points. This is a follow-up. So I saw this just today. The Blizzard CEO. Now, we had talked previously on the show about the Blizzard CEO. Literally, there was a big layoff to a bunch of people, a bunch of the staff at the studio. And he was, like, bringing in, like, a crazy salary. Like, several hundred, what is it, like, 250 million or something? I forget well, the number Well, with exactly. bonuses, yeah. With bonuses. Bonuses. Over, over 200 million. So apparently... And I'm looking at this uh, this right here, and I'm going to link it to chat for everybody to take a look at. It's over on Screen Rant. Activision Blizzard CEO is taking a 50% pay cut, right? Activision CEO, who has been, Bobby has been, I'm not going to say, Kotick, is that his name? Kotick, Kotick? I think it's Kotick. Kotick? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, been accused of by even shareholder of being overpaid as voluntarily slashing his salary in half. Well, yeah. Why? Why would he do that now? I don't know why he would do that now. Why would that be so important to do now? You guys know. You know, flack, man. Like, not trying to make the people that are contributing money to the company, which really goes into his pocket. I want to cut. Well, especially because if if you look at his actual base pay, mm-hmm. when when you go back and talk about the two hundred plus million, mm-hmm. his base pay is couple million i mean now it's he said he's cut it in half it's now it's like it's under nine hundred thousand, but it's it's 875k yeah right yeah so that's the that's the base cash pay but the mm-hmm. 200 million comes from all the incentives and bonuses for hitting all of these goals related to you know uh the company's performance and i don't know if it's that article or the other one i was reading earlier today they've talked about under his tenure the company has gone from a 10 million dollar a year company to a 70 billion dollar think about that for a minute yeah. it has gone from a 10 million dollar a year company to a 70 billion dollar a year company so from a performance perspective yes the guy has done some amazing things in terms of the the leadership role of that company again though right credit where credit is due sure your workforce has a lot to do with that and that's mm-hmm. one of the criticisms that everyone always has about yeah. ceos getting paid these ridiculous amounts of money even if it is just in bonuses because of the fact that you know when your average employee is making sixty five thousand dollars a year tops you know in terms of your average um and you're making you know 200 million there's just such a huge level of disparity there that people kind of it it's impossible to actually put yourself in that position mm-hmm. and comprehend. There's just, it's so yeah. far out of whack. Um, and I know that's something I brought up before the show. I'm going to, I'm going to drop this link in here too. Yeah, um, for sure. It's part of, 
because this is actually was Googling this after we talked about mm -hmm. this. There was a, in, in terms of CEOs, there's lots of ways to do business and, mm -hmm. and his position is not unique in corporate America in the sense that it's not just gaming companies that do it this way. It's, it's pretty much everywhere. And there was this guy, his name's Dan Price. Um, and he's the CEO of a Seattle based credit card processing company called gravity payments. And this article came out a couple of weeks ago and I'm just going to drop it into the yeah, chat. Definitely. Um, basically he, he was doing this interview nice. with, with entrepreneur.com and he's talking about you know, six to six years ago, he hit the news waves because he dropped his salary from over a million dollars a year. He had a conversation with one of his employees and found out that she was working a side job at McDonald's just to make enough money to pay her mortgage. And that affected him. And he went, that's not good. So he took a pay cut from over a million dollars a year down to 70K and he raised everybody else's pay in the company up to $70,000 a year. And it created a lot of controversy at the time because people were calling him a communist, a socialist, and that's not the way capitalism is supposed to work. And you're going to ruin it for the rest of us who want to have wow. these big salaries and your company's going to go under and all this other stuff. And if you look at this article, uh, they were talking about how um, since he did this six years ago, the revenue has tripled for the company. They're mm -hmm. a Harvard Business School case study, and our employers, our employees, have experienced a tenfold increase <laughs> in home buying. Wow! So think about this for a minute, because this is a guy who cares enough about his employees yep. to want to help them succeed. There's nothing. I always, and I don't want to get political on the show, sure. but I always laugh when people are like, "Oh, it's, socialism is bad." There are pros and cons to every system you look at it. Absolutely. But in this case, I don't see a guy necessarily promoting socialism per no. se. I see a guy who gives a shit about his employees and says, hey, I want to pair the, pay them enough so that they can have good lives, be inspired to work for my company, and want to show up and give 150%. How do I do that? Well, I put mm -hmm. myself on the same level and I lead by example. And it's worked. Now, I don't know if that's going to work for every industry, but I think it's a good case study, which is what he suggests in this interview. Harvard has looked at them as a yeah. business case study because what he has done has worked for the company. Now, if you think about this for a minute, I don't really even know how much, say, Asses of Creation is costing to build in its entirety. But I think you can look at some past games like I believe at the time – wasn't Star Wars Yield Republic like 40 million or 50 million? I really don't remember. But even if you talk about a game that costs, let's say, 50 million to make, if the CEO is getting a $200 million bonus, right. you could have made, you know, three, four, five other games if you look at it that way. Or you yeah. can look at it from the perspective of if your average person is making $65,000 a year, how many hundreds of employees could you have hired? Instead of having to lay off 3,000 people, you know what I mean? Like you had to yes. close your French studio and lay off like 2,500 people. Why? You had a $200 million bonus. Why couldn't you have spent that yeah. to, and put those guys on a new project? Who, who cares what it is? But that's not the way corporate systems work. So, right. but I think that's an interesting case study for people to that, think about. Yeah. I'm actually going to really, I'm really going to look into this. I mean, just the fact that like his company, I mean, I, you know, take the politics out of it. You're talking about for whatever reason, you, some, someone who's at in the top of the food chain in their, their company decides that they're going to, to do this and the, the quality of the lives of the employees in the company and 
you know, their ability to progress in life and to have like their homes and things like this, you know, have, have a lot of stability, not have to worry about, you know, whether they're providing for their family or going to get laid off. I think, you know, all in all, you can look at it however you want to. I mean, the people that are under him that he's looking out for that he leads are taken care of. And that to me, it's like the, the lesson I think in this whole, this whole scenario, at least for me. <clears throat> the other one, I know we briefly talked about this before the yeah. show too. Not, not every company does this. Right. And I know, so, so Gearbox is not without its share of controversy because the lead guy, <laughs> I'm familiar with the situation. The lead <sighs> guy is a little controversial in some degrees. Um, but the one thing that Gearbox has done, which has always stood out to me over the years, is they rely on a profit sharing system for their developers. And there are pros and cons to this because mm. there have been years, I believe it was Borderlands 2, it did so well that everybody was able to get a big enough bonus that everybody went out and you know bought houses. And, and, and then the next year, because they were in between releases, the next year the revenue dropped so much that there wasn't enough sharing going around so everybody didn't get a big bonus that year and a lot of people were like oh i'm i'm feeling like i'm underpaid and it's like no it's just there are dips and flows but the, the thing i'm a big promoter of profit sharing yeah. um i believe that it is a great way to promote people to go beyond and i've talked about this a lot in the past with with as the creative director on saga um, and and as the CEO of Stormhaven, um, I'm a big I was a big fan of of promoting people to want to work beyond. Because here's the thing, when you have people who just want to work the minimum of 40 hours because they just need a paycheck, and they don't really like their job and they're not happy and they're just doing it because they just want to get a paycheck, those people are never going to do great work anyway because they're just people who are working for a paycheck. And paycheck. we've I've been in that position. I Same. worked for my I worked for my dad for years in construction and I was unhappy the whole time, but I did it because I needed a paycheck. We've all been there. Um, but if you give people the incentive of profit sharing, then it's like maybe, maybe you can get people to transcend. I'm a little bored with this job, but if I do something extra or I go above and beyond, I earn something by it. So I, I don't know exactly how Gearbox does it, but they do have a, a thing on their website called the Gearbox Benefits, which they talk about. Um, and it's basically after all the company expenses are paid, mm -hmm. um, anything that's left over as profit for the company, which means after salaries, after everything else, um, that gets right. put into a pool and that gets spread around the employees. And it's based on how long have you been with the company, all this other stuff. So there is a system to it, but it does ensure that everyone gets a little bit extra depending on how performance is and if people go above and beyond. Um, which I think is another way to theoretically do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, that's, that's another option. There's, I think there's lots of ways you could look at it. Um, but the one, I think the big takeaway is do, do CEOs really need to be making millions of dollars a year when their employees are only making 60 to 70? Yeah. I, I'm of the opinion that no, they don't, but Right. Also, as someone who's been the founder of several different companies, mm -hmm. I could say as the founder and as the CEO and creative director and all this other stuff, I don't get to take days off and I don't get to call in sick. Um, if somebody else calls in sick, I have to figure out how to make up for that. And if no one can compensate for that, then I have to do that. And so 
there is no downtime. There's no vacation. There's no calling in sick. There's no 40 hour work weeks for the owner of a company or the founder of the company. It is 120 hours a week, 24 seven, 365 days a year. And so when you look at it that way, yes, the owner slash CEO slash whoever who is in charge does deserve a bigger pay cut because they have a much larger responsibility than everybody else. But I don't think it should be that big. I I agree. That's a little ridiculous. Yeah. It's like pretty, it's pretty big at that point. Yeah. You, you've been doing, um, I don't know, man. Like I wanted to reference this too, because I feel like people are going to start to notice some overlap here soon. Uh, Cause you do Monday and MMORPGs. You were doing this. I remember these being released when we met up around saga mm-hmm. and I had become an affiliate, which by the way, I don't know if people know this or not. I'm not anymore by the way. So they, they kind of, they kind of squash that program over there and I don't really know exactly what the plans are, but we'll find out when we find out sidebar though, is that was the thing that, you know, this is like, we had an initial discussion, got on board for that. And then we did a Q and a, and we did, um, well, there was like a gameplay session I did at one point. And like in all of that, I remember checking the videos over on the saga of leukemia's YouTube, um, which aren't really all showing up now, but that aside, <laughs> I, I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm just throwing that out there. The point though is hmm. weren't they posted there? I could have swore that no, were they posted so somewhere it's... else. The series, when I started the series yeah. off, the first season, yeah, the first season, I believe I did, the first season started off as blog posts okay. that were written on the Saga Leucemia blog. That was right. the season one. Okay. And then I eventually ended up doing like five minute video snippets. And I think a few of those I did on the Saga Leucemia, but then I, I decided to just separate those out and I yeah, started cool. doing them on my personal YouTube channel because it was more about you know, the topics of MMORPGs. Cause when I first did the first few things, it was related to the things that, that I was designing as a creative director that I was wanting, that I was putting into the game from a design standpoint. So I was talking about things like no mini maps and no monetization, but then it, it became this bigger thing that was more about Mondays and MMORPGs. It was about MMORPGs in general and not just about that. So the second season was all on my YouTube. Got it. And it was just as a topic about other stuff. And the third season, which we're doing now, I think episode three or four just went out. Still the there. Day. Now, you know, because now I've got more co-hosts. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it with Scribbles from um, yeah, the DTN. Lexer was on there until he had to step away for life reasons. Uh, my brother was on the one we recorded the other night. Hmm. You're going to be on one soon. Spoiler alert. Nathan's, Nathan's going to be on one soon. <laughs> We've got some other yeah. developers who are going to be coming on soon. So yep. this season... Yeah, it's similar into what is being done here with this show, but we're also talking about different things as well. Mm. It's it's similar but different. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of bounce around a little bit here in a gaming culture and just kind of, you know, I think I think so far we've had I mean, Lexer and I'd say probably you. And I know Scribbles has been, you know, been man, it's just like the time that we do the show is actually not a good time for when he can get on. So that's a struggle that we've had there on getting him on. Um but yeah, so people are going to see some overlap, like Nathan, myself, you know, probably some other creators, I'm sure, some other developers, things like that are on that show and stuff. So it's definitely, I think that, it, yeah, it's like, it's got a similar vibe, but it's different. It's just, yeah. yeah and I've also, because, yeah. because of the way everybody's schedules work, I've always done that as seasons. So it right. usually has, I think we're coming up on episode 36 or something. So each nice. season has, I don't know, uh, you know, 
15 episodes of Sir per season. And I know on the list, we've got 16 episodes for this season that we kind of pre-planned. But then as we've gotten more people on the show, people have thrown in some additional mm -hmm. ideas. And it's like, well, I guess we're going to have to do episodes 17, 18, and 19 now. Right. As long as people, you know, because I always have free time because I work from home. But every, I'd say a lot of the people that I have on the show uh, have day jobs. So I usually yeah. try to compensate not compensate, that's not the word I'm looking right. Usually try to be conscious of that. Um, and so I do these seasons so that I can make sure I can get everybody packed in and then take a break and go do other stuff. But yeah, yeah I, it's, it's fun. Man. I've been like, I've been realizing lately I got my schedule's not as, uh, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm very easy to work with because I was like, I had a, this other show, it's called Dis Disparate Worlds. Um, they do, they do some stuff. I think they, I think they had Drac or Drac and I were going to be on a show together with those, those two guys, um, Sakari and Mox. And, um, man, I feel really bad. Like since like the last time they've been trying to get me on, I'm like, I just, my schedule didn't work very well and, and everything. So I'm going to still be on one, but it'll probably be something separate with them here in the near future. But I've been like, and then do like missing you all I'm like, man, my schedule really isn't that, <laughs> that, that like open. It's just, it's just kind of one of those things that makes makes you realize like you really you know when you're really like really tied into a lot of different things all at once and but I'm actually well, it starts yeah. it starts adding up too it does um, yeah and it does. before you know it it's like you're looking at your calendar going oh crap I'm booked out for the next six weeks and <laughs> am, am I sleeping enough um, and as long as you're having fun it doesn't really matter yes. you know because you won't you won't feel it the next thing you know you're waking up and it's like July already and you're like holy shit where did the year go man my chat um, calls me out for this all the time it just happened psychopubic's like work working too hard nah ever I'm like notorious <laughs> people I'm like notorious for like doing too much and people going home you need to slow down a little bit yeah see he's never sleeping enough just assume that <laughs> that's what Cheryl said to chat <laughs> accurate my naps are good man i don't want <laughs> to schedule a nap in somewhere it's <laughs> something always runs over it's cool though man doing good things i'm actually looking forward to getting on there and chatting with you and scribbles though because you know it'll be a good time it'll be good too because i think when i don't know you like when you when you do podcasting or you do shows like this and you have the opportunity to do something else with someone else and they're and they're cut out of what their framework is i always find that it's just like it's really good at inspiring like new ideas for like the content you're making. Um, maybe you get a different take that you didn't think of. And that kind of, you know, triggers something in your mind about something you weren't thinking about before. And now you got a whole new topic. And so that's why I like collaborations just so good. It's not all about like the clout component. Like a lot of people think about numbers and all that. But like for me as a creator, um, that's like so valuable because that adds up for me over the course of my entire time as doing create or doing content creation it just adds up to more and more like you know ideas and skills and themes or you know features i can try to like incorporate into what we're working on and what we've been working on and doing and it's just it's been very beneficial Working component is also very important i mean yeah the numbers are bullshit because yeah, if you're yeah. having fun and you're getting along with people mm -hmm. and you're having good conversations and everything is flowing well then people catch on to that absolutely and they lat they latch on to that and they become more invested and oh, interested yeah. they're sharing it out and so on and so forth and i've always found because mm -hmm. i've been doing this a long time now right. um with in terms of marketing and the number one rule is just always if you're just regularly hanging out with people oh, yeah. 
and socializing that in and of itself is worth more than anything else because the numbers the numbers will always come as long as people are passionate about what they're doing yeah 100 percent. the moment that people start getting bored or cranky or other things is when things go yeah it's like my my philosophy is i mean, I, I like go into this all the time with like the people in my community it's like I don't care what the numbers are, man. I care about having people to hang out with and have a good time with it. If I don't have that, then I'm for me, that's not succeeding because I, I would like to cultivate good community, good times. And, you know, this past year has just been like really, really good for, for me personally. Cause we, I don't know if you even know about this, like last year at the end of the year. Um, so ashes of creation had, they do this every November. They do those. They'll get on there. They'll do 24 hour live stream. Um, they do a D&D campaign set in the Ashes of the Creation universe, which is pretty cool. We always get like some lore that we didn't have from before, which is like really nice. Um, and then, um, yeah, this last one, I was like talking to my community and I was like, hey, man, like, like, why don't we try to like do this? Because they were like going to give out some keys. And I was like, maybe this could be a good way to try to get some keys for people in the community. It wasn't the focal point. The focal point was still like contributing to a cause and just seeing under our community's banner what we could contribute because nobody so far had really um, at least as far as I was aware of, it would have always been over the past several years during these live streams. It had always been um, like just individuals donating to their extra life event was still, which is still great. It's nothing wrong with that at all. And I think up until last um, year, I think that they had like 40 or 50,000 that they had um, combined had raised or something like that. So, um, yeah, we, we did a thing where like the week before we were like, Hey, I'm going to do like a 12 hour stream. We'll set the bar for like a thousand dollars. We'll see what we can raise. And then whenever they have their live stream, we're just going to drop it and, and impact their D and D campaign. Cause they had like this kind of setup to where like, if you donate certain amounts, you can, you know, roll a random event or something like that, or someone takes damage or, you know, resurrect somebody or something like this. That's kind of fun. And we were like, hey, I was like, this is going to be a fun way to have fun while we're watching, supporting them to also impact their gameplay. And I was like, we could just do We could have a lot of fun with their D&D campaign. Right. So anyway, fast forward, did the 12 hour thing. By the end of it, I was like mind blown. I never thought as a creator I'd ever be in a situation where I'd have a community that could do something like that. I always thought of that as like, you got to have like crazy numbers, you know, crazy following and stuff like that which i do not consider myself as having and we were doing this and they blew my mind man we raised ten thousand dollars dude holy shit yeah ten thousand dollars between everybody and then during their live stream we contribute all that right back to them right back to them yeah that's impressive yeah i mean that's the power of community yes so that was very humbling experience for me man i was like Oh, that was the sign, I think, out of the years I've dabbled in content creation and done different things. That was the moment where I was like, I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm on the right track. I'm on the right track. I got good people around me. Like it spoke a lot about their character, really. And I was like, man, felt very proud, very accomplished. I was like out of the entire year. This was like one of the most pivotal moments in this entire process, because I actually streamed every single day last year. like. I set a goal for myself. Looking back, would I have done that? No. <laughs> yeah, that's... that hurt. That hurt. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. I can't do that. I mean, yeah. I, I do produce videos most days of the week, but I don't do it every day. Um, because Saturdays and Sundays, I'm a big fan 
these days, I'm not going to lie, because for many years working on Saga, I worked seven days a week for all those years. And mm-hmm. then this year, this is the first year that I haven't done this, uh, that 2021, I have specifically Fridays and or excuse me, Saturdays and Sundays. I don't do squat other than hang out with my wife and, you know, we'll watch Netflix. I'll usually that's when I play my PS4 a lot and uh, I'll do some work on mm-hmm. like Project Dram and stuff. But it no, for the most part. That's binge watch Netflix and just hang out and chill day and do meal prep and grocery shopping and other stuff. I'm I'm done burning the candle. Yeah, that, uh, content that, creation. That, that, yeah, I mean, and I because I I do probably I do four or five videos a week I think, but some weeks are just different because the weeks I do like the Lotro cooking in real life show I will do an extra episode because I do a cooking episode that week. And then, like, this week I did an episode extra because I did the Star Wars Squadrons video this week, which oh, I did fine. today, which is an extra one. Because it was like, I do I do Monday Musings, Mondays and MMORPGs, then I do Tuesday Project Dramon Update, Wednesday Stand Up Update, Thursday Project Dramon Update, and then usually no videos for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, but this week I've got one on Sunday. Nice. So yeah, I, it's like five. I think five is my max these days. Every day, that's brutal, man. By the end of it, I'm pretty sure I was getting delirious at the end of the year. And that yeah. 12, that twelve hour one kind of was like, and you just tipped the scales, friend. Welcome to feeling like you're out of touch with reality just a little bit, but enough to stay grounded until you make it through that end of the year. That final stretch was uh, was tough, and then and then I got to the end of the year and I started this year, and I was like, oh, I feel like I'm not doing something. If if I don't stream every day, I feel like I'm not. And so I've had to like train myself to take breaks and like actually listen and go, no, 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 it's important to do this. So this year's been more of like a YouTube um, push and everything anyway. But yeah, it was just great, man. I don't even know. It's complete sidebar, side tangent, power up community. That's where we're going. Y'all are amazing. Love y'all. Seriously. Um, back on track. Let's get on track. Okay. A blizzard topic. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's, sorry, not sorry. It was a good time. And uh, you know how we rants, man. We rant and we we talk about stuff and things all the time here. And sometimes we veer off track, but it's okay. Because if we don't hit everything today, guess what? More for next time. In fact, if we don't get to the topics that are further down on this list, that just means that Nathan can be a part of that next time. So I don't actually feel bad about it. But we will talk about the topic of today, which is the disconnect. And that could completely lead into next time with Nathan. Um and, and I think what I'm about to share now, which is something I found about it recently, uh, they dropped it in my community. Asmogold had done a video and it was, um, I don't know, basically classic, WoW classic. Um, a lot of people have been playing WoW classic. Um, and there was a whole discussion around how like, you know, they were going to make it to where you could like save your characters and bring them over to the Burning Crusade, but you could start fresh or you could transfer your character over which is kind of like okay and there almost seemed like there was a little bit of a if you have the money you can have this option so there's like stuff people were having an issue with that but this one's a kicker right here and blizzard for the burning crusade classic is going to and i found a post that aligns with this and i'm just gonna read what this um Someone named Frosty from the Guild Reunited over on uh, the Burning Crusade Classic EU forum said, well, it looks like after everyone supported the boost, Blizzard have taken it a step further. Wowhead have appeared to uncover a store mount in the Burning Crusade. 
beta files through data mining. There are a number of possibilities for this from the store mount to the mount players are provided for with boosting this their character. If this isn't enough, you make um, you, uh, if this isn't enough to make you quit classic, then at least do the following one. If you're on a PVP server, then you see a pay pig riding their mount, you gank them, <laughs> make roving parties of spawn campers to ruin these guys day. Yikes. Two, if you're on PVE server, then you'll just need to blacklist them and grief them some other way, but just make sure that you never invite them to help them uh, with group content. So am I condoning these actions? Absolutely not. But clearly there's a part of the player base that would look at a player who's engaging in this in a negative way. And also we're kind of, what we're really talking about here is essentially them allowing there to be like a cash op, potentially could be adding a cash op if this does go into the game for you to basically purchase mounts in the burning crusade which it just fundamentally doesn't align with what classic's even supposed to be at least in my mind but what do you think well so this actually brings up an interesting thing because um i was having this discussion on the other show on monday's mmgs mm -hmm. recently we were, we were discussing like older games, legacy games, like think EverQuest, um, EverQuest 2, mm, yeah. Lord of the Rings Online, these older games, the mechanics were designed a certain way. But because of the way the market has shifted in the 20 years mm. or 15 years since these games came out, these companies have, have shifted their monetization policies. So as an example, I always look at, uh, say, Lord of the Rings Online, the uh. fast travel waypoints used to be they were available for everyone now if you want to use them you have to be a vip subscriber or have had a vip subscription at one point to be able to fast travel between certain destinations in the game and some people will look at that and go that's horrible that was just, that's that you shouldn't have to pay for that kind of stuff and it's like i don't disagree but yeah. at the same time it's because i think the discussion has been around companies designing mechanics into a game that that they then break those break those mechanics by allowing people to pay to bypass those mechanics. So this is a case. I think this is another case with World of Warcraft. Yeah, World of Warcraft Classic, where mm -hmm. the way the game was originally designed in that era, there wasn't even the concept of cash shops or, you know, there were gold sellers, but you didn't have companies jumping on that bandwagon. I think Sony was the first company to have a cash shop with them. Uh, what do they call it? Marketplace, I think is what it's called for EverQuest 2. And you were allowed to buy and sell items on certain servers, but you had to be a member of that server to take advantage of that. And then that mm. spread to every server and then other companies started doing it. The point I wanted to get at though here yeah. is that whether we like it or not, whether it breaks the game or not, it's just the reality that we live in these days where companies are going to, and I'm going to use this word with air quotes, <laughs> companies are going to exploit every means necessary to make money because that's what companies do from a you know corporate standpoint um and i'm saying corporate standpoint because not all companies are corporate beasts like activision blizzard um right but in this case i think it's just a, a victim of you have to provide those whales with the option to do that or they won't play the game and if they don't play the game you don't get the money and why would you want to let some other company get that money if you could get that money Meh. you know it's like it's a catch-22 because 
you could get the money from them if you wanted it. Do you really want it? Do you want to let the competition get the money? I understand it from both sides of the equation. Sure. But it is this case where you've got these games that have older mechanics right. where it doesn't fit in with the current monetization because the games weren't designed to be monetized in this way. Mm. And it is bypassing content, completely bypassing content. Yeah, it is. It's pay to win. It is pay I to mean, win. I mean, at that, at that point, at that yeah. point, it literally is pay to win. Which, which someone asked this in chat, and I already know, I'm already very confident where you stand on this, but uh, Yagami in chat was saying, uh, do you prefer pay to win or pay to P2P, you know, pay to play? Um, wow, this is a good question. Uh, I did discuss this a little bit. I'm going to expound on that more here. So uh-huh. we did a recent episode on Mondays and MMORPGs on monetization, and I kind of talked about this, but here, here's my stance on this. This is, this is going to sound funny because for a long time I was promoting a game Yes. that was sub- subscription only. And then I always had in the back of my mind that there was always going to be the option for a hybrid model, um, which we started talking about with the community about three or four years ago, talking about the, a hybrid version. Look at how Netflix has hybrid subscription levels, yeah. depending on what you want, how much you want to pay. I like the idea of, of hybrid options, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of pay to play however however i think that the current era we we live in and the way that games are designed these days i think there's room for both and i think that every game just needs to design their game in the way that they want to monetize i've had some very good conversations Mm -hmm. with other developers and industry leaders and i've been told on no less than three occasions it does not matter Mm -hmm. how you monetize your game if you have a good game People will pay to play your game regardless of how you monetize it. So from my standpoint, there are games that I only play once a week. And if I'm only playing a game once a week, I see no reason why I need to give them a monthly subscription as an example. I'm more than happy to buy things from the store to supplement my gameplay when I play a free-to-play game like that. And then there's other games. Like, I pay a subscription for Lord of the Rings Online. Why? Because I play that game several times a week, and I want access to 100% of everything because I do content around that game. Other games like Star Wars Old Republic, I boot it up once a year. I'll play it for two to three months. And when I play it, sometimes I subscribe for three months. I usually just will subscribe for a three-month block. But there have also been times when I log in just to check out the most recent expansion content, which is content expansion just dropped the other day so i'm probably gonna i'm probably gonna patch that up next week or something and check it out when i do that i don't feel compelled to pay to play because i've already given them a lot of money over the years and i've also bought coins from the cartel shop because if i'm just gonna play it for two weeks i'm logging in i'm like "Mm -mm, what's new here what's new Ooh, look there's a new outfit for my character and i will totally go spend five dollars or whatever to get the coins and put the new outfit on that character, and then I'll forget about that character for the next six months. So I'm of both fences. I'm happy to do the free-to-play, pay-to-win, and I'm also happy to do pay-to-play. I really don't care. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. Um, I know it bothers some people if you can bypass content. Does it affect me? No. I go to the park with my wife, and we go jogging. Mm-hmm. like three times a week and we are very casual joggers we take breaks we you know we do our you know three miles or whatever it is but we take breaks in between and then there's the guy who's like elite dude and he's just like boom, 
pew, pew, and he's gone around the park like six times without a break while it takes us, you know, 30 minutes and we're taking breaks in between. Does the fact that that guy has gone around the park six times affect my enjoyment of the park? No. And that's how I feel about mm. pay to win mm. in games as well. It doesn't affect me personally. So I've always kind of shrugged my shoulders at it. Mm. I'm looking at this comment chat from Psychophobic, uh, which I wanted to read here. Pay to win is more understandable in the East because most players in the East play those games in uh, gaming cafes, which you know they pay an hourly rate for. So sometimes the pay to win mechanic is the most cost effective for them, but that dynamic doesn't really exist much in the West. So pay to win feels more scummy over here in the West. Yeah, I can I can, I can see that point. That's a good point. It is. Um, yeah. Um, I do want to comment on this one too. DN DN Frozen said, "Free to play, play to win games are always bad." In the end, there is always the whale that you cannot beat no matter what you do. Um, that is true for PvP games. As an example, I installed, it was whenever it came out, it was a Star Trek Fleets or mm. Fleet something. It was a, a fleet-based game managing ships on the mobile. And I played oh, it. Right. And like the first 10 levels was PvE. It was very fun. And then I hit the PvP because at level 10, you're forced into the PvP zone. And I was immediately slaughtered by some dude in the $40 ship that he bought oh, off I the did. cash shop. And I was like, that sucked. That totally sucked. So let me let me rephrase my statement slightly and say that in PvE games, people who pay to win don't impact my enjoyment whatsoever. But in PvP games, yes, what you just described and what I just went through with Star War, with Star Trek Fleet Commander, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. I quit the I literally deleted the game. That happened like four or five times, and it was the same ship. Different people, but it was Dang. the same like $40 ship. That slaughtered me every time and i'm like how am i ever going to get further in this game if every time i go out to mine some asshole who spent 40 dollars in the shop when i'm just playing the free-to-pay version i'm never going to be able to compete yep. against that so in that case yes i totally understand where you're coming from yeah i get that too man speaking of uh i want to like tie in on this one this one's just kind of a funny point to like point out and it was ties into Blizzard a bit. And this one was about World of Warcraft Griefer being banned while live on Twitch. <laughs> I didn't hear about that. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna link this in chat just for the lulls. Getting banned while live streaming on Twitch is always interesting debacle. Sometimes I'm gonna read some of this, everybody. So uh, sometimes it happens to popular respective streamers with absolutely no explanation. Other times people that should have gotten banned will somehow avoid it entirely. Typically, this stirs up a bit of controversy one way or another, but World of Warcraft streamer Dweedle, I'm not gonna say their name and advertise them, has united viewers in a different way. Rather than banding together to defend the streamer, most people celebrated this ban. Apparently, this person was notorious for griefing. And while technically it's not cheating, it's essentially the act of actively attempting to make the game worse for other players. And this alone may have not constituted a ban, but the streamer was running six, 16 different accounts simultaneously, um, all of which were both paid for and boosted this is an interesting tie right blizzard handed down a ban on all 16 of the accounts uh, that this person was using to grief other players and ruin the experience of playing the game and it says it says in world of warcraft uh, world buff sites play an important role in pvp 
Players that manage to do the hard work required to get one are offered a huge disadvantage over others that haven't. So many players rely heavily on them in order to ruin the game for others. And this person spent a ton of time sitting at a world buff site and dispelling the buffs off of players immediately after they were acquired. Naturally, players and viewers alike weren't too fond of him doing this. And, you know, players were basically discussing this on live stream fails and everything, but there's no really any word from Blizzard about how long span is going to last. Um, but it's entirely possible that this will end up being indefinite, um, given the high profile profile of this particular person. So this, this makes me wonder though, in regard to, you know, griefing, um, I don't know. Do you have like a stance on like how grief people who grief in an MMORPG or any game in general, you have like a stance on like how that should be handled or you'd like to see it be handled. Strikes are out, bitch. Three, st- <laughs> three strikes. Are I'm, out. I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of reputation based. Mm-hmm. So I've actually talked mm-hmm. about this in the past somewhere. Um, don't remember where it was, but I, I've, I've pontificated about tying mm-hmm. people's real life identities to their game profiles so that people have to suffer the consequences of being douchebags in yeah. games. Count now permanent th- that, that doesn't necessarily fly for everybody because a mm. lot of people play games to be able to separate their real life identity from their, their, uh, you know, fake identity. It's the immersion aspect. They, they have a crappy life. They hate their job, whatever. And they play games for immersion. I get that. Um, but I do believe there should be consequences for people's actions. And I've always been a, a firm supporter of like a three strike system where it's like, you know, three strikes you're out. But the flip side of that is that companies have, so companies used to police the servers, but it required a huge mm-hmm. task force of customer support staff to A, hunt down these people or B, sift through all of the complaints that were filed because you got to think about this for a minute. Everybody's got a different opinion yeah. of what is offensive or yep. griefing or other, and you're never going to be able to have like a defined version of that because it's going to be different for every company. It's going to be different for every game. It's going to be different for every individual. And then there's also, this is the other fun part. When you start getting into games where an international player base plays, different countries have different rules and regulations and laws and societies and cultural viewpoints on what is offensive or not offensive. Uh, as an example, I live in Mexico. Um, there is racism in Mexico, but not. we don't have the whole Black Lives Matter thing that mm-hmm. the United States have. And there's not the same prevalence of racism against colored people, for example. But it was the funniest thing to me because, um, and they've changed the name since then, but six, seven or eight years ago, one of our friends came down from the States and there's a, a chocolate roll here, mm-hmm. candy, you know, like a sweet pastry thing. And it literally was called Negrito, little mm-hmm. black, little black boy. And he had an Afro and it was a little black Afro boy on a, mm-hmm. on a, on a chocolate package. And our friend looked at it and then went, Oh, that's so offensive and so racist. And it's like, is it though? It is in the United States, but no one here bats an eye over it. Mm. But since that company is an international company mm. and that started to become a problem in the States, they then changed it and they've changed the name. They removed the the the, the black kid off it. It's no longer, it's just a, I think it's just called Nito now. I think it's just what it's called. But this is one of those things where it, because every culture is going to be different yeah. and you have an international player base, there mm. are words that yeah. exist in certain languages and so 
if someone names their character something, it might not be offensive in English, yes, but it might yeah. be offensive. So how do you how do you police that? Like that's the nightmare scenario from the mm, company standpoint. Absolutely. Of, so even though I might say three strikes, you're out. It's like, well, what? Mm. How do you define what is a strike? And that's when you get into well, you really have to look at what is like super agrarious behavior, like yeah. being like grief, like that griefing. griefing that's yeah. absolutely yeah. a case for Intense some sort there. of action. Yeah, some sort of action to be taken. Yeah, totally feel that too. And I was like reading in chat too that the main part that he might have been banned for is maybe because of the multiboxing. I know at one point, I think, I think I, I could be wrong. And if someone's listening, watching right now, correct me or even Renfield, if you know, I know that multiboxing was actually allowed for a while. Yes. And I can, is I can still? speak on this too. Yeah, okay. Uh, now, here's the thing. So okay. I actually still have the program installed on my computer. It's Got called it. Interspace IS Boxer Suite. I boxed World of Warcraft Classic. God, I, I did two accounts. Um, at one point, I boxed three accounts. Um, and in EverQuest, I used to box not at the beginning. In EverQuest 1, I, at one point, I was boxing four accounts. EverQuest 2, I have had boxed three accounts. I've typically always two boxed in games. But I've always done it manually. And people say, what does that mean? I'm like, so I'm running two accounts. I'm either running it on two different laptops yeah. or I'm alt-tabbing between clients and I'm doing everything manually, which is why my hand is so screwed up because all the gears are doing that. <sighs> but I did try uh, Interspace IS Boxer Suite with World of Warcraft Classic because Blizzard specifically permitted that. It's just there's no keystrokes allowed. So there were... Um, that's the 16 player thing. Right. Like with I with Interspace, you can box like a 40 man team as long as you've got all your characters set up there. And it's not breaking their rules because you're not breaking the keystroke rule. I forget exactly the terminology, but I do know it was either I don't think it was this year, I think it was sometime late last year. They did make a statement that they were gonna start cracking down yes. on those types of programs. And I don't remember when that statement was made, but I do remember a statement was okay. made on that. And it was after I quit playing classic. So I was like, well that's no big deal to me. You know, I I have the program, but that's the only game I've ever used it for was uh World of Warcraft. Um and it was a hell of a lot easier than <laughs> doing it manually. Cause I mean even I mean I've done back when I, I play I think the last time I played EverQuest two was angmar a year or two ago when they did their most recent progression server i boxed a druid in a shadow knight and then before that i did a druid and a warrior on one of the everquest one progression servers so yeah i've always nice. i've always boxed but yeah the blizzard has always allowed it and then last i think it was late last year they've, they've started to actually crack down on it now yeah, they definitely have i've seen that in chat too it was around shadowlands is when they started changing the way that you you can do that yeah, so it's basically that you're not, you know, just aren't allowed to use the programs anymore as of Shadowlands. So that's the thing. Yeah, I thought that they had changed that. So if he was using a program, then that would have totally been a bannable offense. And then, you know, but the, the griefing component, this is something we've talked about on like the Pathfinder podcast and stuff. It's like what kind of like level of um, accountability, you know, should be there and like where do you draw the line? And I think that's a really dis uh, important thing to distinguish too is, and you know, in Ashes of Creation specifically, there's a, you can PK, but there's like a corruption system in place. So the consequence of like, you know, essentially griefing is that you're going to build corruption 
And so it, it does come at a cost in terms of like both. What is what you're... Can you explain corruption? So, to me? Because I'm not familiar. with Yeah. That. So so in Ashes of Creation, there's a corruption system. The corruption system is if you are killing someone outside of normal conditions. So things like um, if people sign up for a caravan or if people are like, the, you know, sign up to defend a keep during like a, a castle siege or something like that. These are all normal um, conditions for PvP. So none of that really counts. Now, if someone's not in one of those conditions and someone's just out in the world and somebody decides, I'm going to flag for PvP and I'm going to kill this person just because I want to do it, that will gain corruption, right? So if someone's making those choices to do that, at a certain point, they will gain more and more corruption to where now bounty hunters can come and collect the bounties on them. They can come after them and take them out. Are bounty hunters player characters? Or... Yes. And so corruption is mm -hmm. just like, is it a flag? Is it a debuff? What is it? I mean, well, it sounds to me like it's just a flag. So it is a debuff too, because basically the higher the corruption, the more it'll impact your character uh, in regard to specifically um, what you lose. Because if you get killed while you're super corrupt, you can lose, you lose gear. Everything. You can. Or, okay. So at a certain point, and we haven't seen the exact markers for what points are going to be what just yet, but essentially if you're out there being a bad boy or girl, and you're running around and doing that long enough and accrue enough corruption, um, you know, stats can be impacted. But specifically, the thing that the big loss in my regard um, is that, like, you could have on some really nice gear and you could drop that stuff and someone could loot it. So there's a there's a consequence, a big consequence for going corrupt and making those choices. So people have different feelings about um you know, like, cause if you get killed and you're essentially like a player character, that's not really engaging in it. You can still lose stuff, but it's just like materials and it's not, Oh, there it is. In Ninja chat. Looter. Ninja oh looter. my God, dude. <laughs> I was hoping, I was hoping that wasn't going to make its way to this show and now become a part of the culture of the show. So I'm just going to pretend like I didn't read that and hope skip over it and hope that yes, I'm just going to move on because people it's every episode of the Pathfinder show at this point, And I'm just going to, I'm going to pretend like I didn't read that bad moderator, by the way. <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable. But, you know, at the same time, um, uh, the facts and evidence show that I didn't. So I'm just saying that. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Talking about <laughs> talking about I mean, like there's checks and balances to try to keep absolutely. The, the, the PKers from being too much of uh, arse <laughs> yeah. hats about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, now we've got some other points on here, but I want to kind of get to this point uh, before we we get done today. Keep that praise out of chat for that person. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just kidding. Am I though? Anyway, talking about talking about the points of the show. There's a bunch of them here. I actually really want to save some of these for when Nathan's back on, but we could definitely like veer into it by kind of hitting on the point around the disconnect. Um, but first, a game that definitely has had this issue. We don't really know where it's at. And y'all know I'm going to look, I've been making, I'm going to be making another video on this real soon. Cause my understanding is that as of somewhere around this time of the week, it could be today. It could be whatever uh, Chronicles of Illyria is doing another update on their site about it. So if you're like, wait, Sim, what? I don't know yet. I haven't looked to see if it's dropped yet. I will be looking. It should be, it should have dropped by the weekend for sure. Meaning, Ooh, we're going to be talking about this next week, which is going to be fun. And also, um, there was an update over on uh, MMORPG.com, Chronicles of, or sorry, Kingdoms of Illyria previews Milestone 2, but fails to convince the Chronicles of Illyria community. Now, I'm just going to read through this, um, give it, give you the gist of it, the, the main 
main bit here in the latest Chronicles of Valyria blog post from Soulbound Studios. Um, wow, does that mean that it was actually today? Oh, shit. I'll, I'll be checking in on it, man, but we're saving that for next week because gotta have gotta have Nathan here. And also I'll be chatting about it a lot on my own channel and doing a rant video because it's great. Um, so here we go. So Kings of Valyria like released their Milestone 2 CEO, uh, creative director, whatever of Soulbound Studios, Jeremy Walsh, Caspian. Um, some core features of the Kingdom of Valyria were touched on as part of a preview of Milestone 2. The post dives into very specific characteristics, Kingdom of Valyria contracts and NPC personality system, which Soulbound Studios plans to implement over the next couple of months. One in battle MMORPG that has transitioned to a standalone kingdom management simulator, at least temporarily, has continued to push through um, to a playable alpha state, and Walsh is determined to get the alpha into backers' hands for play, play testing soon. Initial plan was to have some form of Kingdoms of Valyria available for play testing in April 2021. Blah, 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 because I don't care. I'm going to get to the quote from him, which is Jeremy Walsh, CEO of Soulbound Studios and Chronicles of Lyria states, just as we provide design treatments, pitches, proposals, and planning documents to the publishers, it's the developer's job to be transparent with its backers. Transparency builds confidence <laughs> and makes supporting the project safer for backers. What a statement from, in my opinion, you specifically, but I would like to know your thoughts about the statement and kind of like all that stuff. Thoughts? I think when somebody has a track record of of not being transparent, that yeah. it, it it's hard to believe a statement like that. Um, yeah, same. I agree. You know, I I, I have not invested in Chronicles Lear, but I have paid attention to it from yeah. a just from a the standpoint of. Mm -hmm. wanting to watch how the class action lawsuit unfolds and you know we were always paying attention to it you know because it's another indie mmorpg in development True. and when it when it crashed and burned it was a yeah. a, a blow to everybody Agreed. that's developing indie games but i think it also points out the importance of keeping your players up to and correct me if i'm wrong on this because i didn't okay. i didn't follow it intimately did backers ever get to log in and play anything ever so or did yes. they only ever get to see okay the so and i am still working to educate myself on this because i plan on actually covering this a lot more specifically not just because of the of the fact that it's it's it, it performs well on that variety channel of mine but also because of the fact that like but quite frankly if i'm covering mmorpgs and game development like I feel like this is an important reference point when I'm covering games that do come from Kickstarter are involved in Kickstarter um, are in the genre that I love, which is an MMORPG. Um, I think it's, it provides a very important lesson and framework to kind of have conversations around things that games I do follow and support, for example, ashes of creation um, when they're going through certain transition points where anything might actually refer back to some similar dynamic that this studio has gone through. Um, or just any MMORPG in general that's even thinking about crowdfunding. I think this is like a, an important relevant point, but there's so many lessons to be learned from this situation. And I think for me, in my opinion, fundamentally, the one is transparency, which is why when you said that, I'm in complete agreement because when he says transparency builds confidence and makes supporting the project safer for backers, 
Are you referencing that you've learned this through your mistakes because you didn't do that? Because I'm hoping that's the reference point. I don't see any ownership that really has ever come from this guy on that particular point. So seeing this come from him is a very hypocritical statement for me because it is not in alignment with my uh, my view of what he's presented as his values and how he represents the game in the studio to the player base that did crowdfund his game, did pay for all of these things. Now, when we come back to uh, what did people get to log into, when you go and look at, and this is just, I'm gonna keep this short because I could rant about this for a minute. But when you go back and you look at what was presented on their Kickstarter, I mean, anybody can do this, public information, to go look at their Kickstarter and everything. Um, you will see all of the visual representations of this game. And they give you a very, very clear picture of what they seem to be going for. So what happened is it almost seemed like the project quality degraded over time. Went down because I'm familiar yeah. with the, the degradation and the yep. poly counts. And then we got yep. to the parkour video, which parkour. was right before everything. That was apart. what they got to play. So <clears throat> that's yeah. my, that was my question is yep. because here's, here's from a legal standpoint, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking at this from a legal standpoint. Yep. If a product has been delivered yep. to the backers, regardless of the quality level yep. of that product, then from a legal standpoint, mm -hmm. an argument can be made that they did, in fact, deliver yeah. product. a product. Yeah. Now, is that product, A, what they were, uh, <laughs> this is very important, <laughs> what they were actually promised or anything even remotely close to what they were promised? That's an entirely different argument, and that's the argument that the class action lawsuit Absolutely. is trying to make in court is that what they were given was so vastly different mm -hmm. than what was actually promoted that there are a whole slew of customer protection laws in the United States related to false advertising. And especially, and as far as I understand, they didn't have investors, so it's not quite as grave as it is with some other companies right. who have done bait and switch type situations. But that's why I was asking that question because I wasn't sure if people got to log into the parkour game or not. Mm -hmm. That was my not understanding that yeah, situation yeah they did yeah that, that was my understanding is that there was a number of people who did they just were really <laughs> happy with it the majority of people i mean there were still the people that were like oh great we get to play something but it wasn't too long after people got to jump in and check that out that and they were you know continuing to cry to gain money for things up until really close to when they canceled it which i'm about to go through it because there's there's a blog post and it was like the blog post was out like I think it was like early last year and then things happened and they kind of tied into COVID and then they were like, oh, wait, we're going to then the class action lawsuit with Exola and stuff like that kind of started to go through. And then there's a whole bunch of history here. And I'm trying to work towards educating myself fully on it because I think it's a really important lesson. Um, but I've had like a developer, which I feel really bad about this. Let me get back to him. who was actually asking me like some suggestions around the idea of crowdfunding. And I feel like it's actually a very important uh, you know, point because now now, you know, you've got this situation and, it, you know, from my perspective, I do think that it negatively impacts and you got this game dream world, which I, again, I think also negatively impacts this, this space that people have to go yeah. to work out of. And it's just, man, it's, it's a damn shame. It, it, it feels to me like there have been a, just, unfortunately, there has yeah. been a crescendo of bad cases over the case mm -hmm. over the, over the, over the whole course of yeah. MMORPGs. Um, we, we do touch on. We have an upcoming episode that's coming out in a couple of weeks on early access where we kind of talk about this a little bit on, on the mm. other show. But I, I think that the thing that I I can repeat this here is that we were we were talking on that show, I believe the discussion was 
have there ever been any like successfully crowdfunded and or early access MMORPGs that have like come out of this over the last six years or so because and I mean you yeah. can look at say Trav the Avatar it did launch yeah successful yeah. I would I would you know everybody's going to have a different version of that word but I know going from a 40 man studio to no longer having an office to you know going down to less than 10 people working on the game in a lot of people's eyes does not necessarily signify success mm -hmm. but it is still a functional game it gets patched every week there are passionate people working on it they are industry veterans there are still lots of people playing that game so is it successful it's successful enough to keep some people employed and to keep enough content going out to keep people oh. happy but then we have a whole slew of other games that have been stuck in early access for eight, nine years right. now. Yes. Some of which, and I'm going to say like Star Citizen, yep. because I look at that game and say, yeah, its vision has changed. It's fundamentally changed, mm -hmm. but it's still bringing in so much money. Yeah, it is. Okay, do whatever you're going to do. You know, I'm in it for 40 bucks from the Kickstarter. <laughs> I'm just kind of waiting. I've played it a couple times a year. I've gotten what I feel is... I've gotten 30 or 40 hours of enjoyment out of the game so far, so I feel like I've already gotten my money's worth in that sense. Um, but then there are other games that have been stuck in early access for years. And 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 going back to, not to get too much off topic, I want to spin this back around real quick. Mm -hmm. I, the the controversies kind of started in like 2014, 15, because yeah. I remember around the same time as the Pantheon controversy when McQuaid took the paycheck right. for medical reasons. Um, at the same that same year, which was by the way one of the reasons why I said I was never going to crowdfund Saga Lucemia, I yeah. said no because I don't want to be associated with this kind of stuff. That. So there was the paycheck thing from McQuaid, and then there was a and I'm quoting off the top of my head from memory. I don't have things in front of me. There was a Canadian. There was a Canadian company that crowdfunded a game. One of the co-founders dipped into the bank account, pulled out a bunch of money, went and built a house with that money. Um, and the other co-founder found out that the money had been taken and used for something not for game development, and there was a lawsuit. It was very nasty. There was another company where the game had been successfully crowdfunded. One of the co-founders went in and basically went and had a weekend on the town and blew it all on coke and hookers. <sighs> and there was just throughout 2015, there were all of these controversies coming about where people were taking the money that was supposed to be used for game development and then using it for things that were completely not game development right um and that's the tricky part with crowdfunding like say through kickstarter or something is there is limited accountability um and i say this this is an interesting way to look at this there is limited accountability mm -hmm. because it's such a new way of doing things now with with the chronicles of lyric case we see a class action lawsuit that's being pursued now is that class action lawsuit going to be successful that remains to be seen yeah, because again uh interpretation of the law is nine tenths of the law you know it's like there's the you know it's interpretation so um i don't know crowdfunding is a, is a tricky thing because it's the only way to success for small indie companies um because no publisher is going to look at you seriously if you just have an idea you have to have a prototype and even then even if you have a prototype it's going to be very difficult to sell a publisher on the idea of your game yeah. um 
and investors are even harder to convince um, because you have to have something viable and you also have to have a track record of previous successes mm -hmm. to be able to pr prove to both of these parties that you're going to be able to not only follow through on completing the product, but having having a product that's good enough that's going to be sellable. So crowdfunding is, and it, the problem is that the deeper we get into crowdfunding for MMORPGs in particular, mm -hmm. the murkier the waters get because we have some companies who have been yeah. doing who have been in it for like nine years now. True. They still don't have a link launch product. And then you, on the flip side, you look at like the blow up of tabletop games True. over the last four or five years, which are much simpler to produce and therefore have a much higher success rate in terms of being completed because it doesn't take, you know, seven, eight, nine years, and it doesn't take a team of 30 people. It can be done by three to six people over the course of a year and a half to two years. Uh, board games, card games, tabletop games, those tend to have a much higher success rate. But with MMORPGs, I'm still asking the question, how many successfully crowdfunded MMORPGs are actually out there? Somebody Good said the question. other day, uh, um, Albion, Albi is that a, was that a crowdfunded game? Uh, I believe it was, but I might have to double check that real quick. I think Scribbles brought that up, actually, when we were talking about it the other day. Um, I think that's one of those ones that is potentially a success story, but then there are a whole lot that are not. And I, yeah, okay. it's tricky. So yeah, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. I believe that one was, but it says here, yeah, I know they, well, the founders pack. So I don't know if this is, they did, they had over 250,000 founders and almost 10 million in funding. So I'm just looking to see if that was actually crowdfunded, but based on what I'm reading, it looks like it probably was. I'm just trying to get. Okay. Yeah. This is definitely crowdfunding. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was definitely crowdfunding. Wow, they raised a lot. How successful is that game these days? Does anybody know? Because I'm not familiar with that mm -hmm. game. I feel like they went free to play. I think Scribbles has mentioned this to you. I think they went free to play and have since kind of gone downhill, but I don't know enough about it. So um, I know we're going to be talking about this in greater detail in, in our upcoming episode as well of Mondays and MRPGs, but it's one of those things where I can't think of very many successfully crowdfunded MMORPGs. Um, I know there are a lot that have tried and have failed and then have gone on to do their own private. I know a lot of others have had a successful Kickstarter, but then come out and said, well, that was only proof of concept. Now right. we need to raise another $10, $15 million through investments yeah. or, or private crowdfunding on our website. Um, so it looks like the game's continuing to get updates as of March 2021. Uh, a lot of people have the outlook it'll be better over time. Uh, it's solid, ever-growing population in 2020. It looks like 2021, though. It looks like as of January, somewhere in the area of 125,000 daily average users is what the studio posted. So that's kind of some of the numbers there. It looks like it's okay. still growing. Oh, wow what that growth rate is compared to where it was at when it launched though. I don't know. That'd probably take a little more research, but that's interesting. That does make, does make you curious. 10 million is significant, but that's a lot of money, man. It is a chunk of change. Yeah. Um, but same thing could be said for, I'm pretty sure it's public knowledge. I think shroud did 12 million mm. over the course of its Kickstarter like, and yeah. private plus the investment, like 
deals that they did just because you raised Chronicle Leary did 8 million, Trout did 12, another company did 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because these companies raise millions of dollars doesn't mm-hmm. guarantee success. Um, and some of that can be laid at the feet of the management, but some of that might also just be wrong place, wrong time right. for that type of game. I mean, you never know. Um, there are, a good example is I love to use this movie as an example. Some people might hate me for saying this. The John Carter of Mars film that oh. Disney put out. Right. So I, I, I spent way more money than I should have on a on that entire set back when I was in my mid twenties. I used to be a book collector. That was a big thing of mine. And so that was one of the rare book sets that I found. So I went out and got. It took me like three years to track down. I spent way more than I should have, but it was well worth it to get all of the original Michael Wellen right. uh, yeah. painted covers for that book series. And I've always loved the John Carter of Mars series. When that film came out, I was like. This is awesome because I was expecting that to be the start of a franchise because it's such a good series. And each book is like a – because these were written back in the early 1900s. They were serials. So, you know, they're short little novels that you can read in an afternoon. You know, it's like little 90-page turners. And there's, you know, I think nine of them if I remember correctly. Anyway, that movie came out. I love that movie. I did too. Wrong place, wrong time. It failed miserably despite the fact that it got decent reviews. It failed Disney didn't recoup their money. They lost like $250 million on that film, and they immediately canceled any ideas of a sequel. And I just looked at it and went, eh, because they spent like, you know, $500 million, I think, I mean, between making it and the marketing and everything else, and then to have it lose Man. all that money to the point where they're just like, yep, that one's a loss. Move on to the next one. And it just it hurts so bad because it was like, you know, wrong place, wrong time. You know, best of intentions, great team, highly professional people who had had great successes in the past didn't matter wrong place wrong time movie failed mm-hmm. so you know who knows if that's also the case for some of these you know mmorpgs that haven't made it out of the gate or are stuck in perpetual development through crowdfunding um because i think and this is my my brother's words not mine um one of the issues with companies that are actually making money from crowdfunding for their perpetually in development games is that it gives you this sense of, well, we don't need to finish it because we're getting enough money from people to just keep working on it. So might as well, we might as well just keep trying to perfect it and trying to make it and trying to make it better and get this perfect vision. No vision is ever, please look at SpaceX and Blue Origin. They do not sit and wait until they have the perfect design. They send a rocket up, it blows up. Okay, next one, do it again. Makes a little further, that one might blow up. They keep doing it through the act of perpetually putting something out and doing it. And eventually they get better until they have the final product. But they don't just sit there behind closed mm-hmm. doors and keep on paper. Well, we're getting investment money and NASA's giving us money and the government's giving us money. We might as well just keep doing prototype designs until maybe we get to the perfect. No, they put it into use and they do it. And with MMRPGs, the games are patched constantly. So why wait? Put yeah. it out. You can patch it. You know? Yeah, I actually really enjoyed the John Carter movie too, which is when when it when it when I heard that it didn't do well, I was like, oh, what? I was, so I was shocked. I was actually really shocked. I figured a lot of people would like it, and uh, yeah. But anyway, 
So here's here's the question of the day, man. We're gonna we're gonna hit on this one. We're gonna kind of break right in the middle of the thought because it's a perfect segue into the next show episode where we can actually get Nathan in to kind of like tag into some of the stuff that we just talked about, tie in his thoughts, and then move forward with the rest of it. So how do you see there is a disconnect, if any, between players and the gaming or sorry, developers and the gaming community and its players. What do you feel like that is? Are we talking AAA or indie? Like what market all are we around, talking? All around, yeah, just hitting on any of the points because this is going to be a big one when we dig in because we're probably going to hit on both. But if you can separate them and you can hit one and then the other, cool. Or you can just generally... Yeah, because I, I mean, I have insight having mm-hmm. spent the last basically seven years Right, running a game company and and also crowdfunding a game and getting investors and signing Bob Brown onto the team and doing all these things, you know, I've 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 seen it from both sides. Um, I think there 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 can be a disconnect from players who don't necessarily understand. I'm I'm and I'm talking about the indie aspect for a moment. Cool. Um. On the one hand, you've got players who are used to seeing the pace of development from a AAA studio. Mm-hmm. And so when they see a crowdfunded game that's taking infinitely longer, there's this sense of you're not doing you're not doing it right. You're not fast enough. You're blah, 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 blah. There's a disconnect there because a lot of these people have day jobs and mm-hmm. are working on it at night. As a content creator, you know this. You have a day yeah. job. Yeah. I have a day job. So we work on content at nights or on the weekends or when we have spare time. And so we have a limited amount of time that we could do things. So we can't be streaming 24 hours a day right. like full-time streamers do as an example. Yep. Um, so I think there there is a disconnect to some degree from players and indie projects that are being developed through the crowdfunding method um, because there's the sense of you're not moving fast enough but there's also on the flip side of that, there's a disconnect where a lot of these companies aren't nearly as transparent as they should be in terms of keeping the public up to date with their products and projects. Like, what are we, you know, how many people are working on staff? What's your burn rate? Like some mm-hmm. of that stuff you have to keep secret because investors might be breathing down your neck not to publish it or publishers might be keeping you from talking about it. But transparency and and honesty goes a long way towards this goes back to the goodwill that we were talking about in the beginning of the episode um so i feel that there's on both sides of that equation now from the triple a perspective you're never going to get i don't think you're ever going to get full transparency and honesty from a triple a studio because all they're worried about at the end of the day is profit because they're they're driven by this corporate machine now i i say that as a generalized statement, because I also look at, say, um, Obsidian, uh, Obsidian Entertainment, who has done a lot of good RPGs over the years, Knights of the Old Republic 2, Neverwinter Nights 2. They've got ex-Bioware and Black Isle guys on their staff, KOTOR 2. Did I already mention that one, Knights of the Old Republic 2? Yeah, I did. Anyway, they did this game. I don't know the name of the game off the top of my head. Um, It's like an, uh, you play as like an insect, and it's kind of like a survival game it launched last year and you're like playing Mm -hmm. insects and you build things i think but the reason i bring it up is because their dev team 
does these and I'm subscribed to their channel. So I get the updates all the time on YouTube where they're constantly doing like these dev streams, like once a week, maybe even more frequently than that, where they're regularly updating you on all the things they're doing. And I think companies that do that are the companies that you can look at and go, okay, so we're getting regular public. This is important. Regular public updates. So it's not just for the people behind closed doors. It's for everybody. Mm -hmm. That to me goes a long way towards inspiring trust in the brand mm -hmm. because they're out there regularly talking about things. But I also think there could be more transparency in the sense that when you have a development team that's got say 70 people on staff, I would love to interact with those people. Like not all of those people probably want to interact with the fans, but I know a lot of the times you have developers who are just told to shut up, sit down, sit in the cubicle and get your work done. Right. Like crunch, 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 shut up and do what we tell you, as opposed to treating people with a little bit of dignity and respect. And it would be interesting to see more than just like the front man for the team, more than just the creative director or more than just the community manager, more than just like the, the head, like Naughty Dog's a good example. When do you ever see anybody other than, I don't even remember his name now, the creative director for Naughty Dog. Um, He's the only one you ever see, and yet there are these teams of hundreds of people building the Nathan Drake series and the Last of Us games and all this other stuff. And I would love to see – I think that would go a long way to bridging that gap of of um, disconnect because right now it's like all we ever see is one person, and then you might not hear from them for six or eight months. And, and then if there's an issue or a problem, they just disappear, and it's like, come on. You know, we're yeah. the we're the people we're the, as gamers, we are the people who have helped you make five hundred million dollars. Like at what point there should be a two way street, I think, in terms of communication with people. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I'm actually, you know, I think I think I really like the point you made about how like depending on which side you kind of look at, if you're looking at like the developer uh, studio side or if you're looking at like the side of like someone especially like with indie development studios where like uh, the player base or the the supporters or the backers or whatever uh you know because of their experience the culture of how game development and things like that have gone over the you know vast like 10 years or so probably easily uh i think you know people kind of have this perspective of like why, why aren't you done yet i mean i see it all the time specific i can just specifically only talk about my experience and the ashes of creation domain. And I see that all the time. I've seen it for years. And, you know, as one of their official content creators, I have to, you know, I don't say I have to, but I do feel like one of the things I can do that's going to be the most beneficial for the studio in my position is to clarify, you know, where the game is in development and how they can keep up with it and where it's at and all that and kind of reiterate that, you know, they're not breaking any promises. And that's not white knighting. That's just making sure that the information is clear. Because to have the expectation that, you know, they talked about being at this point by this this point, and because they're not there, they're somehow doing something wrong by the player base or the supporters. It just isn't it just isn't a fair perspective to have, in my opinion, because it's not it's not congruent with what they're communicating that they're planning to deliver and when they're planning to deliver that. And when they're always prefacing that, hey, this is game development, things can change. And these are the goalposts we currently have outlined. And then those things change. I mean, they did say, here's the goalposts and, and things can change. 
I can also come at that slightly from the other angle. So from the project management standpoint, sure. um, because I've worked in multiple industries now, um, I did construction for many, many years. I've been involved in ranching and then I've been involved in marketing and travel marketing and, and, and that in those industries mm -hmm. and also game development. Um, I could say that from a project management management standpoint, if you are good at what you do and you've been doing it for at least five or six years, you can estimate roughly how long something is going to take. Now, as a sure. rule of thumb, what I've always done over the years, and this has worked very well for all of my projects, mm -hmm. is you just throw an extra 25% in there for the unexpected. That way, mm. if you do go over a little bit, it's within the boundaries of what is expected to be the things that you can't expect. So, And it does not matter what industry we're talking about. I do have an issue with companies that use the moving goalpost as mm. an excuse for why they're Fair. never, yeah, yeah. ever, ever hitting any of their marks because i cried bullshit on that one because it's like look you're supposedly a professional you've supposedly been doing this for a while you supposedly have all this experience even if you miss the occasional milestone or something slips over here because someone was sick or something didn't work so you have to change the way you're programming it or something of that nature um that's understandable but when you've got entire goalposts that are just shifting with every quarter that's a sign of very bad management and that's something that that this this is part of the crunch culture yeah where you've got companies that just do this all the time because i can tell you from all of my previous jobs and 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 everything else we there's always milestones if you want to get paid you must this is i might be getting a little ranty here because we were trying to wrap this up. Well, we do this rant is, on the show, so I mean, you know. This is the difference between crowdfunding and a project that has, say, investors. Mm. Or somebody else who's, there's a, a, a bank or someone funding the project. There are milestones, and those milestones must be hit or payment is not released. If payment is not released, employees don't get paid. If employees don't get paid, the project doesn't move forward. So everyone... From the project manager all the way down to the guy who sweeps the floors, everyone is incentivized to make shit happen. Because if it doesn't, mm -hmm. the milestone payments don't happen and nobody gets paid. Crowdfunding is – this is the downside to crowdfunding is we have gotten rid of that. And so this is what I was saying earlier about my brother's uh, statement is that these crowdfunded companies have gotten comfortable – with a never-ending supply of money coming in from people who are forgiving them for all of these things because they believe in the vision. That's good and bad. It's great to have people to support you enough that they're willing to be forgiving and flexible on things, but it's bad if you're still unwilling or incapable of making milestones and hitting those milestones and actually finalizing and releasing mm. a product to your customers. Mm -hmm. So. That's that's that flip side of of crowdfunding versus traditional. There's pros and cons to each, of course. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think when we when I was I was referencing Ash as a creation too. I think an important point is like I think that that's part of the dilemma that I saw them face early on, specifically, because man, that moving the goalpost and like they didn't have anybody like you'd see like the social media would sometimes not really be very consistent. They kind of go into the dark periods. Um, they'd be talking about, you know, like doing something coming up and then it wouldn't get hit on. And it was like being pushed back. And I think that that was, you know, once they got some people on board, once they actually got certain people hired into positions, 
Um, it was really nice because now it's just like clockwork. You, you see their Twitter's posting things, you see engagement on the forums consistently, in the Discord consistently, you see announcements for things consistently. Um, the flow of the live streams has actually gotten really good too. And But I feel like I could definitely see that dynamic playing out early in the early days, especially um, because that was something on the Asha Pathfinder podcast that like we would always, it was not always, but like we'd revisit it. Like they, it was almost like a cycle. Like there was a cycle of like high proactivity and like just really being on point for a little bit. And then it was like, because of how many people there were, I think this is a project management point you were kind of talking about. Um, or at least it does hit into that domain. Uh, you would notice that it was like, because they just didn't have enough people covering certain things and like people were in different hats. It was like, you had to let up on one area in order to get the other done. And then communication and like consistency and like, you know, things that they talked about coming up was, I think what was getting hit on the most. But I, I really like that point you brought up about um, the comfort of, you know, like essentially like moving, like we talk about crowdfunding games, right? I like the, and this is going to be our segue to pick up with Nathan is this is going to be really good, a really good, bigger conversation, I think, which is this culture maybe that's developed for crowdfunded games. And we could, however we want to like dissect that, I think we'll definitely do next time. But the tie-in of a crowdfunded game, maybe becoming comfortable and moving goalposts when there's this player base that is, you know, because maybe of investment and all the other things we'll probably come up with, but the forgiveness level of the player base due to being part of the fund, you know, backers and supporters and all that. I think that's a really interesting and a really good area to look at and to talk about, um, because I think that's where we also could tie in. You see a lot of white knight behavior around certain things. Um, a lot of just kind of really taking things at face value and not really doing research. And I think this this really does tie into, unfortunately, some of the games that have been out there that have just been disaster stories in a lot of ways too. And you've seen how this has played out for the the people that um, support those games and follow them and, you know, white knight them. And then you, you see both sides and you see the people that are also like super, um, you know, critical of like things and, and maybe not very understanding at all. And it's like, where do, where, where do we kind of look at that balance playing out? What's, what's realistic. And <clears throat> I think this also ties into this thing that we talked about last time, which I think it was last time here on the show too, about the hype and excitement element that kind of plays. Mm-hmm. In. I think, I think that along with the crowdfunding culture of moving goalposts and then the dynamic of the player slash founder supporter player base, whatever that, that whole like system, I think is something I think there's it's something also very new. It is very new. And it's, I think I see a lot of problems that arise from that, that just branch out into so many domains. Um, That's also why there's not a re- lot of regulation on this shit yet, because yes. it's so new. Whereas with traditional investment in wall street and all this other stuff, and we have, there are rules and regulations for investments related to the FTC and the SEC and transparency with investors and, and, Absolutely. and, um, you know, securities fraud and all this other stuff we have regulations yeah. because of all of these horror stories that have happened over the years because of other things appear we haven't seen enough horror stories come out of crowdfunding yet so there's not any regulation in place to keep these crowdfunded companies in check 
The other thing, maybe to add this to your list yeah, as a side a note, stuff, is this, yeah. is, this is also why if you read the terms of service for almost every single crowdfunded game, yes. their terms of service give them a hugely wide mm -hmm. margin of when are we actually supposed to launch our game and do we actually owe you any money back yes. or do we only have to give you an accounting of how that money was spent? Um, and this is where there's a crossover between um, consumer protection laws and, you know, crowdfunding any type of product, not just games, but it's unregulated. It's it's the mm -hmm. Wild West to some degree. So, yeah, it's a good tie in, man. This is, we've already essentially got our show for next week. And boy, it's going to be a good one getting Nathan in here for this, too. <laughs> it is, man. Because um, we could tie the whole Kingdoms of Illyria, Chronicles of Illyria. Oh, I haven't even talked about like the Oath. We haven't even talked about Oath on the show in a while. And that's something I'm, I've already got planned for, I guess, spoiler alert for my own content. But the point is, is like Oath is a good one because that thing's been under the radar and dark for what, like a year since that whole thing with the people working on the assets and stuff. I feel like it's been more than a year. I feel Maybe like it's more? been more like oh two years. Oh my gosh, dude, is it? That yeah. was a, that was a fun, yeah, I would love to talk about that. We will. As well, because I remember yeah yeah i Absolutely. don't want to get off topic yeah this is gonna be this is like we've got a whole show that's some, for this time that's some right fun here. subcontract that's some fun stuff to deal with subcontractors yeah and yeah that's that's fun stuff this is gonna be a good one don't know what we'll call it yet but i have a feeling it's gonna be a really great episode because uh this this one is just uh, yeah i've got a lot of thoughts on this all around and i think it's just you know i'm so curious what's going to happen in the future, honestly, about, you know, especially since we're talking about this is a new domain, the Wild West. And historically, we can look at we can look at a variety of different things, right? You could go back to, uh, uh, you know, the, the different laws that came into action around mental health in the 90s, early 90s, because of there being these ethical guidelines that didn't exist where you had like cops firing on people who had mental health illness illnesses. And then you had laws that came into effect of like duty to warn and all these things that came up as a result of, you know, things that happened in society. And this is, you know, a completely, you know, sidestep into a different domain here. Um, this is like part of the evolution process for us as, you know, a society as, as beings on the planet. And, you know, when Napster, this is another really great example in chat from grumpy. Exactly. Like, I mean, we talk about music and the, and the, you know, the laws around like, you know, who owns the rights and who can distribute and all those different things, which, you know, with Napster, you could just go and download music and then Metallica got all into it. And it's like, nope, we're going to drop a hammer on this. And then things changed. So this is the future of crowdfunding for games. I'm very, very curious about the laws that are going to come around because it's, it's happening yeah. now. And it's, it's happening now. And I think yeah. the lawsuits that we're seeing, like, however, the lawsuit from, um Illyria turns out that's going to be a factor in how the revolution of laws change and i think we're also going to start to see laws come into place that say how long have you been developing your you took people for money how many years ago and you still don't have a product launched so uh no that's not that's not legal like i think we'll start to see I think we'll start to see a lot of legislation pop up over the next few years um, regarding crowdfunding, along with what we're already seeing regulations start to pop up because of loot boxes and microtransactions. It's just the next step in, in the system is to regulate crowdfunding. Absolutely. It's coming. It is. It's going to be, yeah, we're like living in the, the time where this 
things are changing or seeing it like in a different domain with like loot boxes and things like that too i mean we're just yeah this is a it's gonna be a good time we're gonna we're gonna leave it right there leave it right there it's been a great conversation a great show can't wait to get nathan on back next week we're, i tried really hard to save and just the good leave, juicy stuff yeah because we talked about last time i was like the good juicy stuff we're gonna talk about everything we can and just just kind of like hint at and tease on the points and kind of step into it and then go and next time on the show with that being said, you all, it's a great, it's a great uh, podcast today. And Redfield, why don't you shout out your domains and stuff and things where people could find you when you're not here on this podcast for all the people listening. Easiest place is going to be patreon.com forward slash Redfield and youtube.com forward slash Redfield. Those are the two places yeah. where I do pretty much everything. There are links at those places to our discord and our TikTok and then Facebook and all that other stuff. But those are the two primary places where you can find me is nice. Patreon and YouTube. Outstanding. And uh, everybody, I want to encourage anybody who's listening or watching the show, I'd love to get some ratings over on iTunes specifically to kind of help boost the credibility of this podcast so people know that we're actually a real podcast doing real things and people actually do listen to it and enjoy it. Um, and any of the comments that you might leave there, obviously we'll read here on the show. I'd really like to be able to do that. We're getting up to what? Um, we're getting closer to 40. And I said, when we hit 50 episodes, I got a special treat because I'm going to tell you all about the, how this show got started and what its origin story was. And it's actually a very interesting story. Um, so with that being said, um, you can go follow us on Twitter over at, at the LFM show on Twitter. You can uh, leave a comment um, in the mailbag at the LFM show at gmail.com. And you can call into one five, three, nine, six, six, four, six, eight, oh, one. Tell us how we're doing on the show. Any thoughts you'd like to bring up any questions or any things, topics you'd like to chat about here on the show. We look forward to catching you next week for episode 38. And in the meantime, you all we might be the end of the show today, but we're always looking for more to join the party rants of plenty. And until next time, you'll have a great week, friends. We'll see you soon.